today on Ag News Daily. It's a really diverse state, and that, again, is reflected in our membership and the kind of things that we, you know, we have to represent all of those guys. And Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson, who I think is back in the Windy City. Is that right, Mike? I am. I'm sitting at my desk here at the Zaner offices in downtown Chicago. It's a sunny day. It's 45 degrees. A lot of that frost that was in the ground is now working on coming out to the detriment of a lot of growers who are waiting on a hard freeze to get out there rocking and rolling. But the lady, you are down in the south today. Where are you? I am in Little Rock, Arkansas. It is also sunny in about hmm, 45, 50 degrees, so it feels pretty good. And I am speaking here in just a little while to the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation's convention. It's their 85th annual convention, and so they're not very many years shy of where the national or the American Farm Bureau Federation sits at 100 years. So I caught up with Rob Anderson, who does all of their PR stuff, and we'll chat with him in just a little bit, Mike. But let's chat about some news first. Let's do that. You know, I've been continuing to watch this uh, Brazil-U.S. tariff situation. The Brazilians are very hot that President Donald Trump has decided to immediately place new tariffs again on both steel and aluminum coming out of Brazil. Their Argentine, excuse me, the Brazilian economy minister, Paulo Guedes, told a news organization that President Trump is making a, quote, very serious mistake in accusing Brazil of pushing down the value of their currency. He says that he is... Um, basically that this is politically driven ahead of the election. Um, he says we are not pursuing a competitive disevaluation. Um, he thinks this is all part of the political game, and he thinks that this dispute will be resolved, resolved amicably via, quote, calm negotiation. Um, he did go on to say that the Brazilian real will be weaker in coming years than it had been the case, but he also said interest rates are going to be lower, and that's really what's driving that. Now, we're going to have lower interest rates and a slightly weaker exchange rate for many years than we have been used to. And again, this guy's the economy minister, and he says that's something he's comfortable with. Um, but it is worth noting that last year, excuse me, last week, the dollar hit a record high of 4.27 reals to the dollar. And um, basically, that's what gives the Brazilians such an advantage when it comes to selling grain into China. And it sounds like from what we've been reading, it sounds like they might have continued advantage there as the U.S.-China trade agreement continues to kind of backpedal today. Zippy Duvall, who is, of course, the American Farm Bureau Federation president, said that further delay in reaching an agreement would make it hard for struggling farmers to hold on in the face of rising bankruptcy rates. And he went on to tell other folks, reporters, that he was worried now that we're seeing this maybe take a step back as we head towards the 2020 election cycle. And it seems that this may change the ag economy barometer. We just got released today the monthly ag economy barometer. And last month, 57% of respondents said that they expected a resolution to the trade dispute soon, which was up from 42% in October. So I'd hate to see what those numbers are going to be when they get surveyed again in January. But I'd suspect that most of those are going to be lower numbers again as we kind of teeter-totter back and forth here between having a trade deal and not having a trade deal. 
Yes, yes. And as I'm sure our listeners recall, some of us in the media have been ardent believers that a trade deal is not going to be forthcoming before the election, which is what President Trump said yesterday. And I've got a feeling that he's going to continue to drag this out. China is just too easy of a political foil when it comes to trade issues. So we'll see, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, and to put another feather in the cap of the trade conversation, we've got some news related to the WTO, who's, of course, the governing body in charge when countries have problems related to trade or other things. And so the WTO appeals process has all pretty much shut down, and the terms for two of the three remaining appellate judges that are on the WTO circuit will run out next Wednesday with no possibility of either replacing them or extending their service. Basically, the U.S. has said that they are not okay with those two judges that are kind of aging out, not really aging out. What's the word I'm looking for? Cycling out. Yeah, turning out. And so uh, that puts a little bit of a uncertainty on the WTO front because if we don't have two people to fill in for those judges heading out. We essentially don't have a WTO. Interesting. So it just kind of ceases to function? Yeah, that's, I mean, we still have a World Trade Organization, but if anybody brings a new issue to the WTO, there's nobody to make rulings on, you know, whose side or who's wrong and who's right here. Wow. Okay. And so the U.S. has to appoint these judges. Well, the U.S. has to sign off on these. All WTO members have to be on the same page. And it seems that the U.S. has really been the member blocking new nominees. Is it tied to the U.S.-China trade negotiations? I don't know. You could speculate and say that it is. But um, basically all cases will be in limbo until they can convince the U.S. to stop blocking new nominees. I'll be darned. All right. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on it and see what happens because, yeah, that would be a pretty big freeze in the world of uh, global trade. Yes, it could be. Well, as long as we're talking trade, I have a very tiny update on the USMCA. Mexico's chief negotiator for that agreement, a man by the name of Jesse Ciade, is in Washington, D.C., going through meetings right now. And he said earlier today that the countries are making progress toward a deal, though questions remain. He didn't elaborate on what those questions were, although, as you alluded to yesterday, there is still some concerns about Mexico's enforcement uh, mechanisms when it comes to their labor guarantees and security. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, I guess we're not close to crossing the finish line on USMCA either. It doesn't sound that way, Mike. It doesn't sound that way. Hmm. Well, what else you got for us, Delaney? Well, this just came out this morning, and it's not set in stone yet, but the USDA has released new worker rules for SNAP, which would tighten those rules. And from what I understand from reading it, kind of put us back at some of those pre-farm bill um, requirements. And so that was obviously a big holdup when they were negotiating the farm bill, was creating those worker requirements for SNAP. And so they have developed a new program today that would cut essentially 600 uh, No, that's not right. It would cut off a really large number of people, forcing them to basically find a job. And so tightening those worker requirements, forcing more able body workers to get back into the workforce, so to speak. And 
it would also hopefully help lower unemployment rates and really tighten up who is on the SNAP work requirements. Currently, there's about... Actually, no, this is right. So the expected reduction for SNAP enrollment is expected to drop 688,000 people if they get this new tightened waiver pushed through. But I'm sure there's going to be some controversy met from Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats who have said that this is not what they want to see happen for SNAP. And so they finalized regulations Wednesday. From here, I believe it's still got to jump through a couple more hoops, but something to consider and watch as well. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely worth watching. Um, I've got some news out of the Southern Hemisphere. The fallout from Brazil's corruption probe continues to reverberate throughout that country. And there was news today that federal prosecutors in Brazil have formally charged 11 people in connection with a criminal probe going back to bribery um, of the second largest meatpacker in that country, BRFSA. Um, of the 11 people charged, one is still the company's director of agribusiness, and uh, BRF hasn't commented on that, but they are saying that the company acted unlawfully to evade food safety checks. So if this comes to fruition, I've got to imagine this will start to raise concerns again in the European Union about the food safety that has been coming out of Brazil. Earlier this year, late last year, we saw the EU suspend a lot of meat imports out of Brazil as food safety safety became a concern, and this is going to put that right back onto the spotlight. Maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, opening some opportunity for uh, American meat processors to uh, move into that market share, but, but time will tell. Well, it seems like we may continue to have a market share into China as they continue to deal with African swine fever after those public comments they released earlier this week saying they're going to need about 6 million metric tons of protein to make up for their protein deficit going on right now. We saw that reflected in another price increase in wholesale pork prices from pretty much over the weekend. We saw pork prices rise about 1.1% over the weekend, reaching $6.03 per kilo. To put that into U.S. terms, that's about $6.03 for about 2.2 pounds of pork protein, further increasing their volatile pork market right now, Mike. Yes, yes, yeah, the, the Chinese pork market continues to be interesting. It does. And it's it's lower than where it has been at its highest point. The highest point we've seen their, their pork market reach up to was $7.39 per kilogram, but it's still definitely much higher than it usually is. Mm-hmm. And I think Chinese consumers are noticing it and uh, getting frustrated. I think that you were probably right, Mike. Well, I just have one final update as we look at the broader U.S. economy. We did see a slowdown in the service sector of the U.S. economy. It slowed in November basically on concerns about trade temper, uh, trade tensions and worker shortages, and that pushed production to the lowest level in a decade, which is kind of a mixed bag. That could be something that encourages the Fed to go ahead and continuing, continue cutting interest rates, 
but only because they're starting to get more and more concerned about broader U.S. economic health. Um, private employers have hired the fewest workers in six months in November, and this comes on the heels of data on Monday showing that manufacturing activity contracted for the fourth straight month in November, and there was a decline in construction spending in October. So basically, all of these are, are small red flags that uh, – Folks on the broader economy might be getting ready or gearing up to experience a slowdown, Delaney Howell. Yes, which can be good and bad for the U.S. economy. I think this year is going to be, or this cycle, if we do head into somewhat of a recession, is going to be so different because when we've had recessions in the past, I don't think we've had quite this amount of trade uncertainty. Right. That is the crazy thing this year, is that trade uncertainty is the new wild card when it comes to economic growth. That it is. Mike, I have just one other piece of news as well. This is something that you and I have talked about on the podcast as well, and Iowa is potentially going to set the, the legal precedent for this, and that is the Iowa Ag-Gag Law. A federal judge has granted a preliminary injunction preventing the state from implementing that law that was passed earlier this year. And so the court... The law is intended in part to prevent those critical coverages or folks coming into operations and doing undercover investigations. And so the Supreme Court has said that the statutes can only survive scrutiny based on the actual purpose of the statute advances, not based on rationalization. I'm not a legal attorney, so I don't know exactly how to explain that to you other than it just sounds like the Supreme Court is saying that you cannot put a law in place based on guessing that these people may or may not come in and do some undercover investigations is, is what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Yep. And so so the big question is, what is the Supreme Court going to do about it? Right. All right. Well, well, I just have to stay tuned and see. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of strong feelings on both sides of yes. that issue. Yes. So now this will head to the f this will proceed to head to full briefing on by the Supreme Court, and I think then once they issue their briefing, that's it, I think, for the ag-gag laws that pertains to Iowa and probably all other states. All right. Well, we'll just have to see what happens, Delaney. With that being said, should we jump into the markets and see what happened there today? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks. In the corn market, we had a little bit of weakness today. The December corn contract was down three and a half cents at three sixty-eight and a half. March down two and three quarters. Closed the day at three seventy-eight and a half. Soybeans up on the day. The January contract up six and a quarter cents. Closed at eight seventy-eight and three quarters. The March up seven to finish the day at eight ninety-two and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, a little bit of a rebound from yesterday's sell-off. The December contract was up five cents in the Chicago at five thirty-five and a half. The March up two and a half cents to close at. 527 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, weakness, well, weakness certainly throughout the cattle complex today. December live cattle down $1.10, closed at 119.45. The Feb down $1.4750 to finish up at 124.17 half. In feeder cattle, the January contract off an even $1.50 at 140.87 and a half. The March also down $1.50, closed the day at 141.42 half. In lean hogs, we've got some mixed trade. The December contract was down 62.5 cents at 61.8750. The February up a nickel, closed the day at 68.42 and a half. And in dairy, looking at that class three milk market, December was up a penny at 1935, while the January was down a penny at 1891. With that out of the way, Delaney, why don't you take it away with today's interview?
Well, I am down in Little Rock, Arkansas this week with the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention chatting with Rob Anderson, who is the Director of Public Relations for Arkansas Farm Bureau. Rob, thanks so much for joining me. I'm happy to do that. Uh, Welcome to town. Glad to have you here. It's uh, very nice to be down here in Little Rock. Very very uh, pretty town flying in, but Rob, tell me about the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation and the membership that you guys cover. Uh, well, yes, we have a we have a very large membership, uh, one hundred ninety thousand plus, I believe. Is that right? Um, we have a large membership, and we have a diverse farming in, in this state. You know, we have a lot. I mean, we just put out, in fact, in our magazine, sort of a, a listing of some of the top cash crops in the state, and it really shows the diversity that we have here, and that that diversity is reflected in our membership too. But we have a lot of poultry. Poultry is very large in Arkansas. Um, but also rice, soybeans, um, you know, some things, uh, it's some things a lot of people don't think of, you know, you, you think rice, we, we get a lot of publicity for rice because we're one of the top, if not the top rice producing state in the country, but we also have soybeans, you know, that take up, uh, that, that a lot of our farmers are involved with. And then cattle, uh, is, is also big gear livestock. Uh, it's a truly, truly diverse state. And that again is reflected in our membership and the kind of things that we, you know, we have to represent all of those guys, and and you know, we're we're constantly talking about key issues, whether it's you know the right to farm, and you know, so right to farm, and, and getting out the word, as I'm sure you know, and you, you talk about uh, somewhat is you know telling the farming story, mm-hmm. and, and you know, one of the key things we have with our large membership is that a lot of them are not necessarily farmers or in agriculture but we are sending them materials uh, we have magazines that we put out front porch magazine which goes to all of our members and we try and do some nice features uh, that, that really give people a look into the agriculture the lifestyle of agriculture rural arkansas these kind of stories and what what goes into you know bringing food to your table and that sort of thing so that people have a better understanding And when you look at Arkansas consumers, would you say because of your outreach and I'm sure other commodity organizations within the state, would you say that Arkansas consumers are more knowledgeable than compared to other states? Well, I hope so. (laughs) I I do hope so. But, you know, it's hard to tell, but that's something we're always trying to do. And I think that in an agriculture-heavy state like Arkansas, we have an opportunity to do that more because people understand that agriculture being, you know, the biggest industry in the state, that we... We're kind of, you know, it's kind of an important thing. So we may have more opportunity to get on, let's say, a morning show or to get our news covered. And but, you know, we're always doing that. But you know, for us, it's become more and more important to build our own, you know, to build our own outlets to tell our stories. You know, we do a lot of videos, uh, video features on farmers, and really trying to show people what it takes to be a farmer and to get that food from the field or, you know, the, the fields and pastures to the table, you know, and get people to really understand how much, how much farmers care, not just about animals, but the land and everything that they do. And, you know, because there's a lot of bad information out there right, right now and a lot of fear and, and doubt about where, where's my food coming from and what's going into my food. And I think the more they see the people, the better. Yeah, I've been very impressed with your media outreach. You've got your Arkansas podcast. You've got a lot of video production, it sounds like. So I'm just blown away by the amount of stuff that you guys cover for your members. Yeah, and that, and that's something we put a lot of energy into is trying to figure out, you know, wh- where are they getting information and when we want to be there. You know, um, print was obviously bigger at one point, you know, and we still obviously put out press releases and that sort of thing. But there's a 
dwindling number of, you know, unfortunately, smaller newspapers around the state. So, again, it's become more important for us to find ways for us to deliver the stories, and whether it's through the podcast, which we recently bulked that up. We were kind of doing one-off podcasts, and now we have a weekly. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit longer and features multiple interviews and that sort of thing. We do have magazines. We have one that's focused. It's Arkansas Agriculture. It's just strictly for the farming and agriculture audience. But then again, Front Porch, which is more of a general audience, but we're we're finding ways to get those stories to them through that. Uh, I do believe there's still a place for print, you know. Um, but again, that's shifting too. Mm-hmm. What kind of stories you tell there, how you present them, what the look is. You know, we we try infographics and things like that that break things down and simple to understand. And ways. I think switching tracks a little bit. Not only is your membership and the diversity of Arkansas as related to agriculture interesting, but just your manufacturing and industrial side of things. When you look at the northwest quadrant of Arkansas with how many different corporations headquartered there? I know. it's There's been huge growth up there. You know, Walmart, Tyson, all of those industries. Um, But one thing, and it's interesting, we did an article on that for one of our magazines because that's also a very heavy agriculture area. You know, there's a lot of livestock. There was, at one point, a lot of dairies. Um, There's still a lot of agriculture up there, but how is that meshing with all the growth Mm -hmm. that's happening up there and sometimes that creates challenges you know whether it's land challenges neighborhoods abutting farmland and that sort of thing so that's where it becomes critical to get people to better understand what's happening in their own backyard you know who if you're coming in from somewhere else and you're moving into this area because of all this growth and these new businesses what do you need to know about these farming operations which continue to operate up there sometimes there's confusion there but and when you look at the your continued efforts, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges related on a policy stand front? Mm, yeah, um, our policy team is always looking. And then, again, that's where the importance of our structure, you know, the ground-up kind of structure. We go out to the counties. We hear from them and get the get the policies from them, and they identify what those critical policies are going to be. Going into next year, we're, in fact, taking a look at that. Uh, what are some of the key policy issues going to be? Trade continues to be something at the national level, you know, that trickles down to us and, and has plays a big role in all farmers' lives. What's the impact of that going to be? Um, roads, roads are a big issue for us this year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, particularly when you talk about rural communities and smaller smaller communities and those roads, and making sure that farmers have the kind of roads they need to get their products to market and to do what they need to do. Um, you know, that's always a challenge, where you find the funding to to do that. Um, so I know those are a couple of the key issues our, our policy team is going to be looking at this year. And, Rob, I think I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the convention that's going on this week in Little right. Rock. Your theme, it looks like, is let's get growing. Am I getting yes, that correct? Yes, that is correct. So and what's how does that theme relate to the sessions and the information that you're going to be providing your members? Well, what we were doing with that is, you know, I mean, you know, obviously every year we're trying to come up with a theme that speaks to something, uh, you know, we've had themes built around telling a farming story and that sort of thing. This year, you know, we had a lot of challenges last year. Lots of flooding, you know, major floods along the Arkansas River. Uh, we had the trade issues. We had all this stuff. We've we've come through, you know, you know, our farmers are pulling through all of that as they often do. You know, they face these challenges and they keep going. Um, but we wanted something a little bit inspiring. 
you know, let's get growing, let's get back at it, let's get back in the fields and the pastures and keep keep doing what we do. And so it's kind of built around that, and a key to that is we're going to be talking about some of those issues we're facing and how we're going to address those going into the year, whether it's the post-flood stuff, what happens now with our levees. Feral hogs has become a major issue all around the country. Um, you've been hearing about it more lately, and I think people were kind of, what is that? You know, I, some per, people outside of rural areas yeah. and the farming community. Yeah, and it's community. heightened now because of African swine fever. I right. think the concern is heightened. So you have this problem that now it's it's encroaching on more urban communities. You have these, you know, feral hogs that are getting to where people live and tearing up land and causing trouble and difficulties. People are getting a little more of a sense of why that's important. And we have, uh, in fact, one of our, our workshops is on that very issue and how we're going to address that moving forward. So again, we tried to focus on what are going to be those issues that will help us get growing, you know, in 2020, and how can we attack those issues? Well, it is fascinating to see just the diverse amount of content you have from the workshops to your agricultural system here in Arkansas. Rob, thank you so much for chatting with me about well, it Well, thank you for talking to me. I'm glad to have you here again. Again, a big thank you there to Rob and really all the Arkansas Farm Bureau folks for having me down here at this convention. I just tell you what, it's so interesting to hear about the diversification going on in the state of Arkansas because you don't really think that one is being such a diversified agricultural state. Well, it is. It absolutely it is. is. There are absolutely. corn and soybean growers. They grow re rice, rather. They've got cattle. Yeah. They've got a little bit of wheat. I mean, there's a lot going on in Arkansas. I think there's still pecans and you know, a little bit of everything else. There sure is, Mike. And I think it's great to do check out, if you are especially an Arkansas listener, check out their podcast, the Arkansas Podcast. I actually will get to be a guest on it. I think it's airing this week. I think it releases tomorrow is what they told me. Fantastic, folks. Be sure to check that out. Also, be sure to check out our past podcast episodes. Visit globalagnetwork.com. You can click on Ag News Daily. You can click on Girls Talk Ag. You can click on any of the other fantastic podcasts that are hosted by the Global Ag Network, as well as get signed up for our newsletter for weekly briefings about what was covered in the podcast under the umbrella, as well as news stories that jump out to us and market commentary by yours truly over here at the Zaner Ag Hedge Desk. With that, Delaney, should we let our listeners go? Let's let him go.